This is KMTT. This is Ezra Beck, the weekly share on Pashat HaShavua. And this week's Pasha is Pashat Korach. Pashat Korach is, relatively speaking, one of the most monothematic Pashiot that we read. The, the entire Pasha deals with Korach. The rebellion of Korach, which he organized with other people, against Moshe and against the Aaron, and then its resolution... Uh, the reason why the Pasha is so much longer than perhaps children remember is because the Pasha doesn't end when Korach is swallowed up in the ground because the Jews continue to complain and there's a necessity to prove to the Jewish people that Aaron is the chosen one. There's a, a ceremony, a, a, a trial that's done with the stabs, 12 stabs of the 12 tribes and is placed before God. Aaron's staff flowers and bears fruit, and that, that ends all the arguments. With that takes us pretty far through the parasha, all the way till, till the shishi. Five-sevenths of the parasha. But it's still not completely over. The end of the parasha is a statement, a lengthy statement of God to Aharon, delineating his tasks as a Kohen, and that of Shevet Levi, of the Levites who were with him, and then uh, discussing the Matnot Kuhuna, the, the tithes and the other uh, donations, mandatory donations, which are given by the Jews to support the Levim and the Kohanim. That's clearly tied up in the rest of the Pasha. This Pasha is a Pasha about the choice and the selection of Shevet Levi, of the tribe of Levi, and of Aharon. They were chosen earlier. Pashat Ba'alotcha had a whole ceremony. But because of the machloket, because of the dispute with Korach and his friends, so this is the Pasha which describes the final, practical, sociologically accepted selection of, uh, of Aharon and the Levim. And it also, therefore, it concludes with a message to them about what they were selected for. And, and what they're going to do and how they're going to live and where their, where their, uh, uh, where their food is going to come from, where, where their livelihood will come from since they're not working for themselves. And, it, and, it, and, and, and that's the end of the Pasha. So the entire Pasha is about Levim. It's about Levim in the context of a particular story. The assault of Korach on the legitimacy of the system of Levim and Kahuna. Uh, but that's what the Pasha is about. And if I want to really look at the end, I'm assuming everyone is familiar with the, uh, the story. There's a lot to say about Korach. It's a very complicated story since it's Korach, who's a Kohen, and therefore is presumably attacking the legitimacy of Aharon HaKohen. There are 250 Makrivei HaKtoret, 250 people who wish to, be, to bring incense on their own. They are not swallowed up in the ground. They are burnt up in a divine fire which comes out from heaven. And then there's Datan, Vaviram, two other troublemakers who have a speech to make. Uh, there are a lot of different strands that people have written extensively about it and discussed it, and it, it is fascinating, but I want to go to the end. And the end is uh, mitzvot. God speaks to Aaron and tells him what to do. But, as I said, this is in a context. God is speaking to Aaron now because he's just come out, so to speak, victorious in the test of the staves. What is the message that God is giving Aaron 
by telling him what he has to do and where he'll get his food from. So the actual incident which, which led to this is that after Korach has been swallowed up and after the 250 people have been killed in what they were doing, and after the Tan Babiram are no longer part of this story, the Jews are still upset and they say a line to Moshe which is, is really very, it's very poignant the way they say it. Um, after they've seen that Korach has been destroyed and God has given a very visible scene, sign that he's chosen Moshe. Moshe in fact defines it that way. He says to all the people if these people die normally then God has not chosen me but if they die through the hand of God by having the earth swallow them up that will be a clear sign that God is behind me. Everyone has seen this and they all flee to their houses. Nonetheless, it says, They all came to complain. Everybody, the entire congregation of Israel, comes the next morning after sleeping on it, comes to Moshe and Aaron and they say, They don't say you're wrong. They don't say we want to be Kohanim. They don't say we want to be the Vim. But they accuse Moshe and Aaron as being responsible for the death of so many people. And apparently it means, this is where some of the Farshim really explain this, that it's not talking about Korach, it's talking about Am Hashem, you have killed the people of God, the people of God were the 250 Makriveh who apparently were motivated by love of God. They didn't ask for power, they didn't ask for authority, they just asked for the, for the right to be able to, to perform a religious action. Many Farshim say that they were tzaddikim, they were wonderful people. Uh, they did something that was wrong. You it's called Ezzara. You have to bring the fire the way God wants you to bring the fire. But but the people who knew them were shocked at their death. And they accused Moshe Hashem. And the answer to that is the test of the staves, which is therefore usually interpreted as the following. It's not for them. Aaron is different than the other 11 tribes of Israel. Aaron and Levim are different so it's true they were motivated by, by holy thoughts, but you should know, people of Israel, that you can't do that. Aaron has been chosen. He is he who sacrifices the ketoret, the incense, and they're not, and this has been proven by God's flowering of the staff of Aaron. And therefore, their motivations were pure, but their actions were, were wrong. They're not allowed to do that. And, and therefore, they're not here anymore. And there's an extraordinary pasuk at the end of that story. They leave the staves in the Oral Moed overnight. They come in the morning, and sure enough, Hine Parach, on the Veit Levi, Aaron's staff had flowered, had it put out flowers, and it even had fruits. Moshe then brings out the staffs and shows them. 12 staff shows them to the children of Israel and it says the following Moshe brought out all of the staffs from before God in front of the Jews and they saw and each one of them took his staff they saw and they took each one his staff didn't say a word didn't admit fault, 
didn't accept anything. They did something much more powerful. They just saw it and they went home. The Pasuk clearly indicates a total victory. Like There's nothing more to discuss. This was the proof of all proofs. It does, they, they didn't say anything. They saw it. Each person took a staff and went home. This is the end of all ends. And then, all of a sudden we have the Pasha that I want to talk about. And the Jews said to Moshe, it doesn't say that you didn't complain, it doesn't say that they shouted. They spoke. They said to Moshe Rabbeinu, we got the message, but, whoa, oh, we are dead and lost. We are all lost. Anyone who comes even close to the sanctuary of God will die. Is there any end to our debts? And the answer to that is the next pasuk, which is not an answer to them, but God says to Aaron, God says to Aaron, you're going to do your job and take sure the Aldebim do their job as well. How does this answer the question? So I think it's clear here that the answer to this question changes our perspective on what took place before. The fact that Aaron's uh, uh, staff had flowered could very well be understood as saying Aaron has been chosen to serve God there is a wonderful experience of being Makrif Ketoret I admit I don't really understand it but that's because I've never seen it or done it there's a wonderful experience a religious experience becoming close to God to be able to to offer up incense before God I have a whole theory what it means I'm not going to go into it but, but it's something which is very aspirational, very holy, very divine, on a very high level. Aaron does it, not you. That's not for you. You're, you're Pashat dimension. You are simple people. Go home, Bisham Shabbos, put on tefillin. But this level of serving God, being sacrificing to God, which is what the Kohanim do, sacrificing the Ketoret, which is what they do on their own completely, that's not, for, that's not for you simple Jews. That's for special Jews. That's for the elite. The religious and spiritual elite. His staff has flowered. Makes a lot of sense. And the Jews say, so that means we're just, we're just out of it. And any time any one of us aspires to be somewhat more than this so-called simple Jew, he's going to die. We have to know our place. Is there any end? I mean, as soon as we raise our heads, it's, it's a cry of the oppressed, but not the politically oppressed, which is perhaps what the Tan Babiram are complaining about, of the religiously oppressed. Not oppressed, the religiously deprived. The saying is, we don't have the opportunity to serve God, only Aaron to some special qualities that he has and his fellow Levites. And if we try to do more than that, then will be struck down? And what is God's answer? He says to Aaron, He's saying to them, 
neither you nor they have understood if that's what you're thinking. Your job is to be the guardian of the Mishkan. Technically speaking, if anyone comes too close, he will die. That's why they were calling him. The Kodim were there to keep people from going over the, over the threshold. Kodim don't exist because they have religious experiences and the ability to have religious experiences greater than that of the simple Jew. They're not a spiritual elite. They're the palace god. They're there to protect the Jews. You exist in order to protect the Jews from themselves. And therefore, Hashem says to Aaron, right after this great day where he was chosen in this miraculous flowering of the staff, he says to him, you and your sons and the house of your father with you shall bear the sin of the sanctuary. And you will bear the sin of your kehuna, of your priesthood. What is the sin of your priesthood? You will bear the danger that the sanctuary uh, holds and protect anybody else. And therefore also your brothers of the, uh, of the house of Levi, the tribe of your father, bring with you and they will help you. And what are they going to do? Bishamru et mishmartecha. I translate literally, they will guard your guarding job. Your mishmeret. The, the shorish is lishmor. They will guard and the guarding of the of the tent, of, of the sanctuary. And they also have to be careful not to die. And they will come with you, the Levim will come with you, b'shamru et mishmeret ol moed again. They will do the God duty of the ol moed, b'zar lo yikrav aleichem, but no other person should come close. And then again, Ushmartemet Mishmeret HaKodesh, I speak now to you, Aaron and the Levim. Do the guarding of the guarding of the holy and the guarding of the altar. And then there will not be any more anger, any more punishment, any more death among the Jews. Vani, God says, and I, Again, a fourth time. God, preserve your, your priestly duties for the Mizbeach and for the house, uh, uh, the internal part before the, before the Parochet. And you shall do the work of God and Hazara Kavev, but a stranger but a stranger will die. And then it says, I'm going to pay you off for this. You're going to get all sorts of presents from the Jews to make sure that you're able to work. It's a total revolution in the picture here. The Kodim aren't the spiritual elite. They're the servants of God to protect Am Yisrael. We have an expression, which is actually, it's a translation of the same expression. The palace God, the royal God. They're not closer to the king. They might... Because they're there, maybe they speak to the king more often than, than, than other uh, casual visitors. But, but they're not the king's confidence. They're not friends of the king's. They're the palace god. When you come to visit the king, they tell you when you can come in. They tell you when you go out. They tell you where to walk, when not to walk. They make sure you don't just sit down and, and start fooling around with the utensils. They're the palace god. It's not that they have a closer relationship with the king. 
They work for the king for the common good. And that's what this Pesach is saying. The Jews received the message because of the nature of the revolt. The revolt said, we want to be, we want to be Korach. These 250 people, specifically, who joined Korach to attack Moshe, they wanted, they wanted to be like Korach. They wanted to bring the Ketoret. They wanted to bring the incense. Korach himself had said, uh, it doesn't distinguish it in the beginning. It's the, the message that was coming to all those who came to, uh, to speak to Moshe. And uh, they, uh, as, soon, as soon as Korach came, he said the line, the, the super democratic, religious democratic line. Moshe brought all these people to speak to Moshe. And he said, All people are holy. The equality of holiness. And God is in their midst. Something we've spoken about in the Torah, spoken about. God dwells in the midst of the entire Kehila. So why are you uh, more important than, than the rest? And I think the answer to that question wasn't, No, you're wrong. You might have thought that was the answer. We did a little test. One staff was chosen. Eleven staffs were rejected. That's it. We didn't appoint ourselves. God made us the princes. God made us the special elect. But that would be the wrong interpretation of the answer. It turns out that they're, they're 100% right. For the entire congregation is holy and God is in their midst. And that's why somebody has to take the job of protecting the people from themselves. Because the holiness that's in their midst and their aspirations and their religious uh, 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 values will lead them to cross boundaries which should not be crossed. I don't know why they shouldn't be crossed. That's not, that's not my topic now. But you can't simply rush into the Mikdash and do whatever you want. There's a palace God. I love the king and I want to see him but I have to do it the right way. Bringing a ketoret, not by God's wishes, is called Esh Zara. And that's what Moshe Rabbeinu tells the 250 people right away. You want to do it, bring your Esh and we'll see what will take place. And in the end, although the Pasuk isn't really clear, all of a sudden it says that a fire came out and consumed them. It's impossible not to remember the previous time that someone brought a a a ketoret, a fire, lit a fire before God without being commanded properly to do it, and he was consumed exactly in the same way by a fire that came down from heaven. The parashiot are not just parallel; they're identical. About these two hundred fifty people, it says, "Ve'esh yatzaa Hashem," and a fire came up before God from heaven. Fire came up before God. And consumed the 250 people who brought the Torah. It of course reminds us of the sons of Aaron, Nadav and Avihu. There were only five Kohanim. 40% of them, two of them, were consumed by fire for the exactly same reason. It has nothing to do with whether or not you are the elite or the simple people. The elite, if they bring Esh Zara, if they bring Torah not the way God commanded, 
will be consumed by the fire that is there. And so will you. So it's not because they're specially adept at it. It's because this is the way God set up the system. But the reason why the Kohelim were chosen wasn't because they're better. They were chosen to do Mishmeret HaMikdash. Now let's understand. In, in theory, I think we've probably been, we've sort of been brought up to think that, no, no, it's a very important system. You need Kohelim. You don't need Kohelim. First of all, we live very well today without Kohelim. I know they're a Kohenim today, but we don't use, we don't, they, don't, they don't do anything. You can have a religious system which doesn't have any Kohenim. You say, oh no, but once there was a Beit HaMikdash. That's true, but not for the reason that you may be thinking. It isn't that the Beit HaMikdash has certain practices which need Kohenim. What do they need Kohenim for? To do the Shechita, to slaughter the animals? Anybody can slaughter an animal. In fact, I'll be dinner, anyone can slaughter the animal. But, but if you want to bring a Kohenim, bring it and slaughter it. How did Avamabinu bring a Kohenim? How did Noach bring a Kohenim? Worst comes worst, you don't know how. So hire somebody. Get a, uh, get a professional shochit to go with you. We don't have a, a special class of people who do mila. Most of us can't do mila. So you hire a moel. But mila is done by all of us. Either by myself or with the uh, help of someone who's a professional. You don't need Kohenim to run the Beit HaMikdash. I could have a system where every single person would come, bring his korban, the hakriv, he would bring his korban, and, and he would do it himself, or he would manage with the help of, of, of people who knew how to do it, of not a, not a professional class, but of, of experts. If you need experts, you hire experts. You pay them. The reason why we need Kohenim, when there was a Beit HaMikdash and not today, is for the reason it says in the parasha I just read. They're not there to help us run the Beit HaMikdash. They're there to protect us from the Beit HaMikdash. And for that, you need a special class of people. Why? Okay, this is my second point. The first point is that the Beit Midrash is dangerous. This Pasha reeks with that idea. And the Jews figured out when they say, we're going to die. It's, it, we're living, Hashem. God is living in our midst, but God is, is too dangerous. It's, it's, how can God live in our midst? How can we live so close to the Mishkan or God in our midst without, without dying? So that's the first point. Religion isn't only fun. It, religion brings you close to the living God. It brings you up. It's not a, it doesn't give you friendship with somebody, or it doesn't only give you friendship with somebody, but raises man to be close to the ultimate power of the universe, to the creator of the universe, to the ultimate source of Kedushah, of holiness. And that is extremely dangerous. Lo ha'adam v'chai. God threatened Moshe Rabbeinu. That if he got too close, he would die. You cannot see me and not die. Well, that's the first point. Religion is dangerous. It's necessary. And it's dangerous because it's rising above your station to go in communion with the highest and most perfect and most divine and most holy of all things. And the second point is, because of that, there is a conflict between these two uh, aspects of religion, the good and the bad, between the, the attraction and the repulsion, between the coming close to God and, be, and, being, and being aware that one needs to be cautious and to step back and in awe of the living God. And because those two motions are contradictory, they've been separated into two different kinds of people. We cannot rely on the religiously motivated to restrain themselves. 
There's an expression in specifically in American religion. It goes back to uh, late 19th century, early 20th century Protestantism of enthusiasm. When a person is motivated by religious values, he, he's full of love of God and he wants to come as close to God as possible. He will not restrain himself. The 250 people, Moshe warned them that they were treading on dangerous ground. But because they were holy, this was the people of God, because they were holy, they ignored Moshe's warning. Perhaps even they heard it, but they said it's worth it, or they said that we're going to do it anyhow. Because this is the meaning of our lives, because this is getting close to God, because we're religious. We want to worship God the way He should be worshipped. They will not restrain themselves. And therefore the system can only work. The people say, are we all going to die? Because these people, the rest of the Jewish people were also good people. And they, they, they had heard Hashem. They heard that God dwells in the midst. And they, and they wanted to do that. And they realized that's why they'd been chosen to be Mamlechet Kohanim Vigoy Kadosh. They were people, a priest of Kohanim and a holy people. So they knew that they would come back tomorrow and become close to God, but then God would strike them down. Moshe says, now here's the system. You don't have to worry about being far from God. It's not your job to retreat. Your job is to surge forward. And in truth, that's extremely dangerous. Someone else will take care of that. We appoint professionals, the palace God. Sometimes we think that they're, that they're you know, dictators. They get in our way. They keep us on the straight and narrow, which our own love of God would not allow us to do. We don't approach God in a cold, calculating, uh, pragmatic, thought-out manner. We approach to God because we're attracted like a moth to fire. And the moth will be burnt in the fire. But we can't control this attraction. If we're genuinely religious people, we cannot control this attraction. And therefore, in the Beit HaMikdash, the Kohanim have been chosen to be Mishmeret. Not to be religious elite, but almost on the contrary. They're there to restrain religious enthusiasm and thereby protect the life of the Jewish people. They make it possible for the Shekhinah to be betocham and for the Tocham to exist. They made it possible for the Holy Presence to be present in the people without destroying the people. So they support the religious uh, communion of others, of the entire Jewish people. But the communion is of everybody. There's no difference between the communion of the Kohanim, the so-called elite, and the communion of all the Jewish people. You are not the princes, Kohanim, Aaron. You're not the prince of the Jewish people. You're the servant of the Jewish people. And you will bear Avon Kehun Natchem. You will bear the burden, the sin it says, the, the sin of your own kuna, because it's a burden. Instead of searching for God on your own, you have to devote yourself to helping others serve God in a manner which allows for the contradictory forces to take place. The attraction to God and the reserve, the distancing necessary to be attracted. The Rambam in Yilchot Yisudei Torah describes the mitzvah as here in the Sanskrit of Ava Vira, the love and fear of God. Or as a better word than fear. 
The Ramam has a, it's a particular Ramam kind of thing. Ramam says, you view the way God has constructed the world, the amazing. Imam is mostly interested in, in astronomy. The amazing symmetry of the heavens, you can say, but all kinds of other forms of science. God has invested His, his wisdom, is, is, fills the world, and immediately you're filled with, with love and attraction for God. The mitzvah of Ahavat Hashem. And then Imam says, and immediately when you realize that what you're loving is He who is wiser than any possible anything else, that's why you love Him. You love Him because the amazing wisdom and foresight and power and glory of He who created the whole world, you immediately are filled with awe and fear and you take a step back, contradicting your own step forward. So the Torah does not rely on the ability of one man to maintain those contradictory steps. But the important point here is that Judaism is contradictory. That a relationship with God is contradictory. A full relationship with God cannot allow you to sit at home and, uh, you know, uh, there's a God in the heavens, I'm on earth. Okay, I think about Him sometimes. No. Yiddishkeit is based on uvitocham Hashem, on getting closer to God and worshipping God and serving God and, and lighting a fire which will raise ourselves up to God. Hashem. We go up in the, in the fire and, 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 and commune with God. We don't sit at home. We're, we're, we're climbing the mountain. Three times a year we go up and visit Kosh in his own house. All the time we're moving towards God. And therefore, there's a contradictory motion as well. The closer you get, the hotter it gets. The closer you get, the more you're out of your element. The closer you get, the more the contradiction between Eish Ochlahu, between the God who is the absolute existence of the world and your sinful relative existence. And we don't give up on any one of those. We do them both. Practically speaking, that's the system of the kahuna. Ideally speaking, every person has to inculcate the contradictory motions of Mishmeret Mikdashai, the guarding of the holiness, Beit Mikdash, which is surrounded by walls and has to be surrounded by walls, Kedusha doesn't exist unless the walls are erect, and Aliyah Regal, and the Litkarev El Elokim. Notice the word Karev is the same as the word Koban. Between Shirashirim, the love, the Dveikus of man and God. Between Sefer Tehillim, which all the time is talking about Samma Lecha Nafshi, Davka Lecha Besari, Kama Lecha Besari, Davka Lecha Nafshi. Man pines for God. His his soul, his 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 flesh, is yearning for God. Kayal Ta'arog Alafikemayim, as a as a deer leaps over the pools when he's thirsty, the pools of water. So my soul leaps. To come close to God. Some the Khanachi, because my soul thirsts for you as one thirsts for water, as the deer thirsts for water. All of Sefatilam is about the immense thirsting, yearning to come close to God. That's Yesod in Yiddishkeit. It can't happen if there aren't precautions and if we ourselves, in the end, don't do the precautions. Not because it happens to be dangerous. The danger is part of the, part of the essence of the thing itself. You are coming close to that which is totally different from you. 
And if you don't have Yirah, you don't have awe, then you're also missing an important element in the Kedusha, one that is so important that its lack is equated in this Pasha to death. People die because they didn't realize. The 250 people died because they didn't realize that they were overstepping. They were overstepping their bounds. So we learned something here about Kahanim. We learned something here about democracy. In terms of value, I think Judaism is totally democratic. This is not a Pasha which establishes an aristocracy of religious value. It's a Pasha which establishes that everybody is betocham Hashem, but there are different roles to play because of the complication of having a contradictory set of values. And two, we learned about the contradictory set of values. The Torah consists of Ratzo Vashov. Running close to God. Brach Dodi Running close to God. Ratzo Vashov. And pulling back. And the two things are intertwined in a combination which cannot be split and not divided even for one, even for one second. Call to Shabbat Shalom.